0: Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Where's your promised land? Where's your promised land? What are you looking forward to next in your life? What's the big thing, the big rock in your life? For some of you young people, maybe it's like me, your birthday or Christmas. Maybe you're looking forward to that. Maybe, maybe you, when you were younger, mom and dad, I know you're watching me online. I can remember when you made me weigh a hundred pounds to be able to ride the motorcycle. You let my brother ride it at 80 pounds. I'm not bitter. Maybe that was the promised land for you, (laughs) maybe middle school, maybe uh, high school, maybe vocational school, maybe college, maybe girlfriend, maybe boyfriend, maybe marriage, engagement, baby, babies, whatever. Don't we have those rocks in our life, things that we're looking forward to, things that we think are going to be the end-all, be-all until we get there. And for some of us, maybe retirement. And then what happens after retirement? What's the next big rock? Grandkids, great-grandkids. Great great, great great grandkids Death, I don't know. Heaven, wouldn't that be our promised land, amen? Okay, maybe you were thinking that far ahead. If you think about the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, they were going to a literal promised land. And if you remember with me, God commissioned Abraham with a promise that you would receive a land. And Abraham never received it, but he went ahead anyway. And then he had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then you have Joseph. And Joseph was uh, imprisoned in Egypt, and then there was the famine, and then they were in Egypt and they were blessed and then 400 years passed and then they blamed the Israelites for everything and God delivered them, Sent Moses, and Moses said, for God, let my people go. And Pharaoh said no and he had the 10 plagues. Remember all that? And then he had the 40 years in the wilderness. And then... Moses, I always thought this was unfair. God is just, and God is merciful, and God is sovereign. But I, 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 I'm I, kind of on Moses' side. Just because I hit a rock, but I had to put up with 2 million unhappy, stubborn Jews for 40 years, and you're going to punish me because I hit a rock and I didn't speak to the rock the way you told me to? That I don't get to enter the promised land? Just doesn't seem fair. Can I get an Oh. Yeah, Moses deserves more than that, but we'll live with that. So Moses gets to see the promised land, but doesn't get to enter. But then God calls up Joshua. That's where we're going today. Joshua was called by God, be strong and courageous. And don't let the words that have been written about what God has done to escape your life, but to to dwell on them and live in them. And so... He is called to go into the promised land to lead, lead those two, two million approximately happy Jews into the promised land. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. They're just the children of Israel. And You, you put two, two million people together and what are you going to get? A lot, a lot, a lot of whatever you want to call it. So here we are. But Moses, remember, when he led them out of Egypt, God opened the Red Sea why didn't they crossed on dry ground? And God was going to demonstrate in the life of Joshua that he was with him in the same way. And so if you look at Joshua chapter four, verses one through seven, I've got it wrong on the slide, it's all my fault. Read along with me. Here they are. They're going to the priest in the Ark of the Covenant is going to precede all the two million of the Israelites, They're going to dip their toes in the water, and God is going to Divide the water all the way to Arnon in the Bible. That's what it says. So in Joshua 4, here, here, here's what it says: When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to People of Israel, a memorial forever. When we read that passage of scripture, I find it fascinating that God did that, was forethinking enough to say, let's take those stones, put them, and make a monument so that they will remember. Now, we live in a generation that doesn't remember 9 11. That they weren't around. But we who experienced it, remember. And there's a memorial in New York City. And if you're joining us online, we're continuing this series of gratefulness, our grateful series. And last week we talked about, because everybody that's here was probably here last week. You remember what principle I talked about last week? Everybody? It was the harvest principle. I know that was on the tip of your tongue. And that we, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. And so what we want to do is to sow generously. And I know for the last seven days that you've been entering into your gratefulness journal things that you are thankful for because you are a thankful and joyous people and you have the peace of God within you. Amen? Because you do what I ask you to do always. Just like my dog always did and my cat never did. So the point is, abundant grace brings abundant blessing and spurs abundant ministry. Abundant grace, abundant blessing, abundant ministry. And it is from the grace of God that we receive. And God was gracious to Israel at the Jordan River, but God was gracious to Israel all throughout history. But they forgot His Abundant grace. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. He says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls. In fact, I missed highlighting an all here. Let's see if you catch it. So God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things, and where did I miss it? At all times, you may abound in every good work. God's promise of grace is limitless. Now I've got to be careful as a preacher because sometimes I can overpromise what God God says, and I, you got to got to be careful because. God's promises are good and we can count on them, but we don't want to read into a promise that wasn't intended for us. And so I don't want to overpromise a God under deliver, and you be disappointed with God. You understand? And if I overpromise God, then I'm in trouble with God. And I don't want to do that. John Lennox was a professor of Oxford. And he wrote a book, Against the Flow. And he was interviewing a Russian who had been sentenced to Siberia to a gulag for several years for simply teaching his children the Word of God, the Bible. And as he was interviewing this man who was a believer in Christ that had experienced the horrors of the gulag, the man was telling him stories about bloodshed and victimization and abuse and barely surviving. And as John was listening, he was thinking, I could never do that. I couldn't do that. And the man stopped him and said, I know what you're thinking. I know that you think you could never do that. He said, I'm screaming at the sight of my own blood, let alone others' blood, which I, he had seen a lot of abuse. And he said, what you have to understand is that God's grace is for the moment you are in, not before the moment. And as I've experienced it, just as Jesus promised the apostles that he would always be with him, that his grace was limitless, that he also was with me. So don't underestimate the power of God to do what he needs to do in your life. And as that is true for that Siberian prisoner, so it is true for every one of us that God's sufficient is limitless, and he, his grace is enough. it is abundant in every moment, in every situation, if we count on Him and not in ourselves. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter two, verses four through 10, he says, "But God, don't you like the butts of God?" But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were sinners far from God, that's what that means, made us alive together in Christ. We are made, we are transformed by Christ. By grace you have been saved And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we sit today if you're a believer, if you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Then he goes in on verse 7. This is really powerful and it is very positive. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he says again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And he says, listen, this is not what you have done. This is not what flesh could do. This is a gift of God. Not a result of works. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. God is working in transforming you. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are you created for? To do good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when you see something good to do, God's prepared it for you to do. Don't come to your preacher and say, hey, I think this is a good idea. And I'll say, God's prepared that for you to do. Uh, Dave Basinger, he likes to use the idea of the good idea fairy. Everybody everybody has a good idea, uh, and everybody wants somebody else to do that. That's the good idea, fairy. But God is talking to you. You were created to do good works by the grace of God. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and I think this is so cool. Here is Paul. He is a prisoner for the Lord. And he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, that grace, if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, that grace is on you. He is moving in you. In 2016, uh, Matt Affleck, did I say that right? Matt Affleck, not demon, whatever. But Matt Affleck produced uh, Batman versus Superman, the movie. I didn't care much for the movie personally, but but... That that's beside the point, but 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 he was being interviewed because Batman and Superman weren't one dimensional, always good, always perfect, always right in everything they did. And and if you're online, please don't turn us off right now and go go watch Batman versus Superman and, and to evaluate it. Okay, stay with me. But what he said was that he was intrigued by heroes that weren't perfect, but they strived for their best with the given circumstances and situation within their abilities. And so they would use all that they had. And so, too, we were fallible human beings saved by grace through faith we are reminded every Sunday as we partake of the Lord's Supper, of the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for us, and that we our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus and we've been cleansed. And that's how we exist in this life. Sinners saved by grace, created to do good works. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, how is that fleshed out, Chris? And also, I've heard a lot of Paul today, but what about what Jesus has to say? And I think that is a really good question, because I know that's on in, in, the, in the back of your mind. You're saying, that's okay, but what about reality and what is real and what is now? Well, I like the gospel of Mark, don't you? <laughs> That was a little weak, people. I like the Gospel of Mark, don't you? Yes. If you're a Bible-believing uh, Christian, you like them all, don't you? Everything's your favorite. But in the Gospel of Mark, I never thought about it like this, but if you're into the whole scary thing, like Halloween that we just went through, I'm telling you, the Gospel of Mark has got to, a lot to say about demons and healings and the power of God. And so if you want to read uh, a book of the Bible and you're into version, that would be the place to go. But I I just want to set the stage for for this passage. Jesus was landing in the Decapolis area, and there was this guy that everybody knew. And if you live in the Wabash Valley, whatever community you live in, you probably have some people that are a little strange that go up and down in your neighborhood. I do. I, and I kind of know where they live, and I kind of look out for them, and they're a little scary at times. And uh, in first service, I wasn't quite careful about this, and some of them have some dr- drug or alcohol issues, and some of them might be, I would say, maybe demon-obsessed or pr- oppressed or possessed, if you believe in that. I do because the Bible teaches it. But evil is there. And at the same time, uh, not everybody that has a struggle with anxiety or depression or bipolar or schizophrenic, not all of them are related to drug and alcohol or demons. So we got to be careful, okay? Just give me a little bit of credit before you send me an email and say, Chris, you're just off of your rocker. But I'm just talking about the Word of God. So I think there's a spiritual battle, and evil exists today just like it did then. And I think there's some oppression and obsession, and, and some Christians, they just see demons everywhere, and I don't see them everywhere, but I think it's real. And so here is Jesus with his apostles landing in Decapolis in that area, and he runs into this guy that is just crazy. And he's in and out of tombs, and he's broken chains, and people are afraid of him, and they just give him a wide berth like you know how we do. And in Mark chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Jesus says to this guy, for he was saying to him, come out of the men, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I asked the first service, you know, how many were in a Legion? Because, Dan, I didn't know how many were in a Legion. I didn't do as good a research as I should have done. And so, so nobody knew. And I said, well, go ahead and Google it. Does anybody know how many are in a Legion? Anybody? I've stumped the class. If you Google it, it's between three and six thousand. Now that's a lot. I don't know if if we were uh, one hundred forty-four thousand. I was thinking one hundred forty-four thousand, but I was completely wrong. Three to six thousand—that's a lot, don't you think? Wouldn't that just tear you apart if you had that many voices? Now, I, I our son's home. From, uh, Camp Lejeune with his family and we've had all the grandkids and all both, you know, families and all the noise that goes along with that at grandpa's house. Grandma's house too, but grandpa's house. (laughs) That's only like 10 voices. It gets kind of loud. It's kind of crazy. But 3,000 to 6,000 voices. And notice that Jesus says, what's your name? Now let me, let me just say something to you. If you ever deal with a demon, okay, Never ask them their name. And in fact, you don't even let them speak. You just cast them out in the name and the blood of the Jesus because he belongs, the grace of God, and the spirit of God belongs to us. And we just don't mess around with that stuff. Only if you're Jesus, you ask the demon his name. Because Jesus has that kind of power. And the demon said, legion. And then notice the power of Jesus in this moment. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And notice their reaction. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it, described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Isn't that sad? That they saw the power of God. And they were more afraid of that. And they should have been than the demon-possessed guy with the legion. But they should have been craving him and his teaching. Because wouldn't you want something greater than better than that? But they were afraid. And a lot of times our fear drives us away from Jesus and what is good. And it goes on, verse 18, he says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. I can understand that. Once you've experienced Jesus and his power and his deliverance and his freedom, don't you want to be with him? We should. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, and listen to what he says. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. How he's demonstrated his grace. Now, if I were into capitalists and if I had seen that man walking down the street and around and all the crazy stuff about him, and then I would see him transformed by the power of God and what Jesus had done to deliver him, if he talked, I would listen, wouldn't you? And so in verse 20, he goes on, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. You see, we've got to tell others about what Jesus has done for us. We've been saved, we've been delivered, we've been healed, and, and we've been blessed. We've we, we got abundant grace, just like the Word says. And all we have to do is say a good word for Jesus. This is what God has done for me. And we've got to say, where, where, where is that? What, what has happened in our lives? So if we're going to live these principles, or live this principle, let's look at this. First, build a memorial of gratitude for God's grace. Build a memorial. Like I said, you shoulder it, you take it, and you place it somewhere. I have memorials in my life. When I touch something physically present in my office, in our home, there are pictures, there are things that remind me of God's grace. And I hope you have those. That in your memory, you remember things that God has done. And you share them with those generations that are going to follow you. Because we're not going to be here... In this life, forever are we. But what we leave behind is going to be those rocks in their lives. What rocks and where would they be placed in your life? Second, tell how much the Lord has done for you. There are things that have happened to me that it's only by the grace of God. Only by God has He done what He has done for me. In the area of uh, life and marriage and family and children and finances, all kinds of ways, He's multiplied. And it all goes to Him. Everything's from Him and everything is for Him. The question is what has the Lord done for you? Do you recognize what He's done? I would challenge you this week to write down how you've experienced God's abundant grace in your life. Maybe it's at your conversion when you confess Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your work. God has done something. And if he hasn't done something, are you listening to him and allowing his grace to flow through you And, and, and for you to see with spiritual eyes what he's done? There's legend three men each man had two sacks first man had a large sack hanging around his neck hanging on the front and a large sack hanging on his back and in the front of his sack he had every bad experience every negative thing that was said every person that had ever burned him every incident and every grudge and in the back he had the good things in life, things that he couldn't see, and he never let the back see see what was in the back. And so, as he was walking, he would stop and he t- pulled all those things out of his front sack and look at them and remind himself of everything that was bad. He didn't make much progress in life. Now, there was a second man. He had two bags: one on the front, one on the back. In the front. He actually had all the good things that had occurred in his life, what the blessings, the positives, but he still had on his back a lot of the negatives and all of the grudges and all the bad experiences. He was making some progress, but he was moving really slow. And he said, I, I, I don't know how I can get rid of what is in the backpack. But there was a third guy. Third guy, again, sack in the front, had all the blessings of God, all the good things, all the grace that he had been given. And he and he looked at it, but he was making progress. It was a heavy bag, by the way. But in the back bag, there was a hole in it. And see, everything that was bad, all the negatives, all the grudges, all the sins against him, you see... He put them in that bag, and they just disappeared. And he never looked back. Because he understood the grace of God and his abundant grace. The question then becomes, what are you carrying in your sacks? What are you looking at? What are you letting go? Are you living the principle of abundant grace? Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are so grateful. We pray that we could stop and consider your abundant grace for us. And Father, as we fill the sacks that exist in our lives, the positives and the negatives, we pray that we will let go of the negative. And Father, remember the positive. And the legacy that we leave behind, the rocks that other people will see as a memorial, may they inspire them to loving and knowing you. And Father, every time we have the opportunity to say a good word of what you have done, the grace we've received, the blessing, the mercy, Father, may we do that, that others might know and be compelled and drawn to you by your spirit and and by your grace. And Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.